Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Bhutang Dhammang Sankang Namasami uh, Yesterday I spoke about, uh, in the afternoon I spoke about the, uh, uh, I spoke about awareness and gave a guided uh, meditation on you know, resting as awareness or, or being awareness and said, you know, that awareness has a, the quality of awareness is, is, is like a mirror. It, it reflects back whatever is there without any additional comment, just as it is. And then, you know, when the hindrances come in, when the thinking mind comes in, we you know, tend to put a story on top of it according you know, to our own uh, preferences and, you know, to our own conditioning. And, and awareness is, is beyond all concepts. It just reflects back what is. And you know, we can say, you know, the whole path is all about uh, you know, training our capacity to be awareness. And awareness is above concepts, but the path itself, you know, which the Buddha has laid out for us, is, is a conceptual path. But there's a very wholesome, very useful sets of concepts which support us, you know, towards being able to let go of all concepts. And it's, it's not an arbitrary path, it, it's very detailed and there's lots of um, instructions, you know, which we can use and they have to be followed. Uh, you know, according to how they are explained, we can't just pick and choose and pick out a few and, and not others. Even, you know, it, it's a toolbox, but there are certain principles which um, we need to read the manual before we, uh, you know, kind of choose which tools we want to apply. And, you know, one way, you know, how that manual can be described is what's called the Noble Eightfold Path. And there's three, you know, main principles which are governing this Noble Eightfold Path, we can say. And number one is, is sila, or ethics. Number two is, is samadhi, or stability of mind. And number three is panya, or wisdom. And those three principles, they are you know, clearly defined w what they are and which causes and conditions leads towards the cultivation of those. 
and you know the first one sila is is about you know keeping a minimum of five five precepts in our daily lives and here we have even eight you know there's like five uh, ethical precepts and then there's another three which we are keep which you are keeping right now which are renunciant precepts such as you know, not eating in the afternoon, not wearing perfumes and cosmetics, not uh, using entertainment, and and not uh, indulging in sleep. So those three, they are not, they don't have an ethical value to them, but they help to conserve energy and, you know, use the energy for the practice rather than for other things. Even they are ethically not uh, problematic and for example we keep even uh, 311 precepts and you know lots of them uh, are just you know even it sounds kind of complicated but they are there for a simplification of our lives and uh, some are a little bit uh, you know um, unusual for this day and age to keep but actually once you get used to it you know such when you learn an instrument or whatever you know it becomes actually quite uh, fluent you know it's not it's not uh, something which we constantly kind of have on our minds it's not that complex it's not that difficult once you have learned it it's it's not it's not a burden and uh, so, you know, this um, the ethical way of, of living is, is a support for the mind to start to settle. You know, if we do have a lot of regret and remorse in our lives because we, we don't keep the precepts and get into trouble, you know, with other people and, uh, and also, you know, kind of have certain burdens to carry with us, ourselves, that uh, this is where, where, the, where the precepts are very important to, to take seriously, you know, they are not just about being a good uh, girl or a good boy, but they have a much bigger function than that. And, uh, you know, when we start to meditate, it's also much more difficult, you know, to, to just brush things off because the mind gets more sensitive and, and things, you know, they have deeper repercussions in the heart also. So it's even, it becomes more and more natural, you know, to live according to the precepts. And there is, you know, if we kind of sometimes, you know, uh, make a mistake, there is also the remorse is, is much stronger and then we also, we can really learn from that, you know. And uh, if we act accordingly, then our sensitivity in regards to the precepts naturally, you know, increases and it becomes easier and easier actually to keep them because there's less and less desire not to keep them. So it's like, it's a, it's a natural uh, blossoming, you know, of an intention. And once we get the hang of it, you know, it's actually not difficult. It, it's a relief really to have a clear guidelines and you know to know what works and what doesn't work. It, it's not seen as a, as a you know um, 
a sacrifice or anything like that. It's kind of a, you know, natural intelligence to kind of work in a way which is, is bringing more ease to one's life because it makes, you know, it makes it much easier for the mind to to find clarity and, and to settle. And that leads us, you know, to the second quality, which is samadhi, which has often been translated as concentration, but it's actually, um, it's not the right translation. The, the correct translation is stability or stillness. And concentration is kind of not giving the right idea what samadhi is all about, because samadhi is not about, uh, you know, kind of excluding anything or or kind of making the mind very narrow, but it's it's a, a way of opening the mind and um, and stealing the mind, and through that the mind gets very deep, but it doesn't get uh, narrow. And through that depth and through that stillness, the mind becomes uh, very capable you know, of seeing under the surface of appearances, because usually, you know, when the mind is in the hindrances, it is always um, obsessed you know, with, some kind, with some of the senses. It always is kind of tied and bound to, 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 to one of the five senses, constantly scheming you know, about the future sense experience, past sense experience, or whatever, you know, we want or we don't want. It's constantly... Um, going around sense experience. And, you know, being in that kind of uh, level of the mind is, is, is very superficial. And also it's, it's a very noisy level of the mind. There's a lot going on, you know, it's very dense. There's lots of information and there's lots of uh, uh, movement. And it's very confusing. And, you know, we feel just as that, uh, what I spoke about a few days ago, how it is, you know, if we look in this uh, bowl of water which has those different um, obstructions, you know, like either it has dye in it or it is very restless water, or it's boiling water or it has algae on top of it, so it, it can't really reflect back what is happening and uh, it's... Uh, it's confusing, you know, and it 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 makes uh, us believe that things exist in in a way in which they do not exist. And and one of the main, or there's actually three characteristics, you know, which we tend to not recognize if we are in the hindrances. Number one is impermanence. Number two is unsatisfactoriness and number three is you know that things don't have an independent self so when we are in the hindrances we forget these three characteristics we forget the way things really are and we are you know hunting after things we can't really ever you know possess and that's why they're called hindrances, and uh, you know they are basically seducing us into 
going down the wrong path, you know, and if we stay in the, on the surface of the mind and constantly, you know, looking for the next experience, like, uh, like a monkey, you know, swinging through the trees in a forest, constantly grabbing onto something, grabbing onto the next thing, grabbing onto the next thing, and, you know, always like on the go, so to say. There is no capacity to be still and to go into the depths and to really find what we are looking for. We are looking for arriving somewhere. And in this way, you know, staying on the surface of the mind, that's not possible there. It's a constant... Uh, it's, 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 it's called, you know, the wheel of becoming in the scriptures or samsara, a constant becoming this and then becoming that and then becoming this and becoming that and never really finding anywhere to rest. But, you know, if the mind is able you know, to, to recognize what's going on, and through that recognition, you know, bringing mindfulness to the experience, then, you know, there is a, there is a possibility to, to drop deeper. And, you know, through applying mindfulness in this way, in the four foundations of mindfulness, as we have been speaking, you know, over the last few days, mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feelings, mindfulness of mind states, and mindfulness of, of phenomena. In any of those four foundations of mindfulness, if we keep on, you know, applying mindfulness, which is a, you know, it's a deliberate act. We have to train ourselves in that. But if we do that over a time, a long time, actually, then our capacity, actually, for awareness is the result of that. Then, you know, you'll notice that after some time, you you are you're starting to become aware of emotions. You're starting to become aware of how you are feeling. You're starting to see, you know, how how things how laws of nature work. It starts, you know, with a, with applying mindfulness, making making the decision, you know, to do to sit down and do this. And then over some time, you know, awareness is gonna be the result of that. And that awareness, you know, will support you in your life, you know, to live more in harmony with the way things are, to have less uh, friction, you know, with other people with, with, and with your life in general. So that's something, you know, which we can train ourselves in. And it's, it's kind of a returning, you know, a returning back to a more simple mind. But not in the in the in the way of simplistic mind, but a mind which is less uh, agitated, you know, and less complex. Like the mind which is constantly, you know, in clinch with the senses to have more nice sense experience and less painful sense experience. That mind is very complex, has lots of suffering in it, is very confusing, very noisy, and very challenging a lot of the time. And, you know, and if we drop deeper into a more simple, into a more still 
level of demand. There is much more, it's a, you know, it's a way of, uh, it's a very subtle joy which we can experience if we are in that. And also if we are familiarizing ourselves with that level of demand, you know, the, the, the drive towards having more sense experiences is starting to kind of uh, slow down because we have had that taste you know, of something which the sense experiences can't really give us. Even the most you know, subtle sense experiences, you know, such as like really beautiful objects of art or maybe some very yeah, beautiful experience in nature. Even that, you know, can't really on the long run compare to that kind of independence from any sense experience which we can touch on, you know, if we are deepening our capacity to rest in awareness. It's a much more satisfying experience. And, you know, we don't have to kind of push ourselves to, you know, let go of our dependence on sense experience. It just is a, is a natural um, process which starts to, you know, be set in motion through uh, having this kind of uh, depths in the practice. And then, you know, what maybe 10 years ago, you know, you really enjoyed, you, you don't enjoy any longer because it's just all too much stuff, you know, it's all too much stuff, all too cramped, all too full with loud and noisy and um, coarse, really. And it's not a judgment, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just not giving, giving us what we are looking for. So it's not, you know, you don't have to force yourself but you just do the practice and it does itself, really. But there are certain, uh, you know, basic quote-unquote rules we have to follow and, 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 for example, ethics. You can't get around ethics. That Without ethics, it doesn't work. And, uh, and that's also, it's not, a, it's not a moral judgment or anything, but it's just simply the way things are, you know. These are the rules of the universe, and you know that we have to just work accordingly if we want to get anywhere with the practice. And then, this, so I spoke about the sila or ethics and samadhi or stability of mind. And then the next one, you know, the result we could say is is panya or wisdom. And 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 panya or wisdom, it's not a body of knowledge. You know, you can all read in the books and then you can just kind of store it in your, in your brain and, and uh, press the button and so on. It, it, it has to be uh, coming, it has to come from experience, really. So, you know, by applying those principles of st you know, st stabilizing the mind and having a foundation of uh, ethics, then, you know, this uh, insight into the way things are is just going to come forth, you know. And, and, the, and the main insight is, you know, knowing what is what in terms of, you know, knowing that phenomena are impermanent, unsatisfactory, 
and don't exist from their own side. You know, they seem to exist as themselves, but if we start to look into them, they are kind of a coming together of causes and conditions which are existing for a certain amount of time and then fall apart. And there's the only unchanging resting place is, is awareness. And, and wisdom knows that. And wisdom is able, you know, to recognize that and let go into it. Not because, you know, we have read it in a book, but because we have experienced it through the practice. And, you know, and we need a lot of dedication to make that process you know, go really into the depths. It's like, but it's not like a heroic effort in the sense of, you know, like putting in a lot of energy, going on one retreat and then going back home and again, you know, kind of forgetting about the practice and then remembering again when there's a lot of suffering and saying, oh, to go to another retreat and then again, you know, putting in a lot of effort and then again stopping it. But it's more like, you know, if you want to make fire with a, with a stick like that, you have to keep on going. You have to keep on going. If you're constantly doing very strong and then stopping again, and you never get anywhere. So it is really important to have that um, dedication, you know, and you know to fully uh, kind of. You know, put your your addiction to sense experiences like on the line, so to say. You know, and really looking into it, does that really work or doesn't it work? And and there can sometimes like be a hesitation about you know doing that because it it seems to be you know everything we have got we have only you know we have those those five senses, and sometimes we even say in Buddhism speak about six senses, the mind is also counted, the thinking mind is also counted as a sense. Like the thinking mind thinks, and the nose smells, and the ears hear, and the, you know, the skin experiences touch. So the, the thinking mind doesn't have a superior position, you know, amongst the senses. It's just like another sense, and it thinks. In the Western you know, way of thinking about the mind, this is very different. It often has a very, you know, kind of special position. But then, if you really start to practice, you can see. I mean, the thinking mind doesn't deserve a special position, really, <laughs> because it, it is completely out of control. <laughs> but what deserves a special position is awareness, you know, which has nothing to do with the thinking mind. But the thinking mind arises and ceases in awareness, and we can, otherwise we wouldn't be able to know that we are thinking. If that would be all the mind does, it would be impossible to know that you are thinking. So and we want to, you know, use the thinking mind when we need it, like when we need to you know, write an email, make a phone call, do something. We use it and 
further on, you know, we don't want to rely too much on the thinking mind because it is um, it's very limited and it's it's very very conditioned, you know. So we want to. Uh, be more and more able you know, to be awareness because we can rely on that much more because it's, it's a much uh, purer way of being with experience because it's, it's a mirror-like way of reflecting what is happening without any you know, personal agenda. And uh, it's, a, it's an intuitive way of knowing. And uh, you know, it connects us with a, with a much vaster intelligence than the uh, intelligence our thinking mind is uh, able to provide. And for example, you know, if we investigate our experience in the four foundations of mindfulness, what we start to, to realize over time is, is you know, that the, the thinking mind is filling in a lot of um, you know, the thinking mind is, is, is connecting the dots and, and a lot of the information the thinking mind is giving us is not based on, on reality, but it's just based on um, you know, rationalizing. So that the thinking mind is, is not a rational tool, but it's used to rationalize. You know, it's used to kind of give us information so that we can uh, you know, move the body uh, through the landscape, you could say. You know? And a lot of that information is, is uh, based on uh, past conditioning, and it's very often not accurate. And a, a very good example, for example, is you know, walking, walking on a forest path, and, and you, know, you see, a, suddenly, you think, suddenly the body starts to jolt, thinking there's a snake you know, in front of you on the path. And then you look again, and you realize it's just a a piece of wood. I'm sure you have experienced that. So this is what the, what the thinking mind constantly does, you know. And if you have experienced something like that once, you know, just remember that. This is what the thinking mind does all the time. Because the, you know, the level, the, the, our senses are pretty coarse, you know. When you take a microscope, for example, and you can see into the depths you know, of what this little box is, whereas you know, my, my eyes tell me this is an unchanging piece of, I don't know, a piece of plastic. Yeah? And then if I look at it with a microscope, it tells me a very, very different story. So our, our senses are very limited, and it isn't very helpful, you know, to only believe in what the sense, senses tell us. It's a very superficial way of, of going about life. 
So you know, balancing that sense experience out with with being or resting as awareness is is a very needed and it's a correction for how we have been operating maybe for many many years. You know, until we we find this teaching and then we start to correct, we start to decondition and recondition ourselves in order you know, to be more able to live a life which has less friction. And uh, it, what, I, what I think is also very important is not to get too kind of stuck on the methods, you know. Because all of those methods we have been sharing with you, they are, they are just here you know, in order to support these insights, to support these um, different ways of looking at your experience. And in themselves, you know, they are not to be held on to too tightly, you know, because they can become also a, a way of distracting ourselves. You know, if we are too obsessed, you know, with the methods of meditation, we can get, uh, you know, and if we are wanting to meditate in order to have a different experience, that is not helpful either. You know, we we need to use those tools, but we need to relax also while we use those tools. Do not uh, be too tight with it. That's very important. And there is also. Uh, a sutta where the Buddha speaks about a blind man and the elephant. There's like several blind men and they're sitting, you know, and directly everybody is experiencing directly the elephant and everybody experiences a different part of it. And they all think, you know, the, the other one is wrong because they are, are too, too tight, getting too obsessed, you know, with just that little bit. So we have to be able to step back and use the practice more like, you know, if you're stepping onto a tower, so you, you see you see more, you have a, a bigger view. So this is the way, you know, how we need to use the practice, not to kind of shut everything else out and just look at the detail. Even in you know, the four foundations of mindfulness, we, are, we, we pay attention to the body breathing, but not in a way like, in a forceful way. There has, it's, it's sometimes also compared, you know, when uh, as, um, a shepherd is, uh, you know, taking out the sheep and then looking, you know, looking after the sheep as they are grazing. And because the harvest has already been brought in, you know, he doesn't need to be too concerned, you know, that the sheep are eating, eating, you know, eating the um, fruits of the fields and he would get into trouble if he's not looking well. But it's more a relaxed, you know, a relaxed looking after because it's all cleared already and the, and the sheep can go wherever they want. He just needs to know where they are so that they don't get lost. So it's this kind of, of uh, looking into your experience, you know, a, a relaxed looking. And, uh, and using the tools as a support, but not becoming obsessed with them. And 
you know, relaxation is a very important part of being able to use tools in a, in a, in the right way. If you get really, you know, all nervous and stressed out with it, it doesn't really bring a good result. And uh, you know, the most important. Guideline, I think, to remember is you know whenever you you are recognizing you're getting lost you know any of the hindrances in the thinking mind to just come underneath the storyline into the body and into the feeling which is present in the body and it's precisely you know those feelings which we have very little capacity to be with and we again and again we escape you know into the thinking mind. So this is really not very difficult to remember. As soon as you notice you are caught in one of those hindrances, you know, going down the wrong path, trying to sink yourself out of trouble, so to say, you know. As soon as you notice that, just come back and see what feeling is underneath. And then, you know, relax into that feeling. Trusting, you know, that it's going to change in its own time. We don't have to do anything about it. We can just let it be. We don't need to have resolution right now. We can just let it resolve itself in its own time. And, uh, you know, this is where we can find uh, a ground, it's, but it's, it's not a, a concrete slab or something like that, but it's, it's a groundless ground. You know, aware, being aware of what's happening in the present moment, this is, you know, the ground where we can stand, even it's not solid, but it is nevertheless there. Whenever we remember to turn towards it, it's there. And it always has been. We just hadn't been looking in the right direction because we were always, you know, looking for the next sense experience, being, you know, in, in flatland, endlessly moving, moving and moving. And, you know, when we remember to stop, then automatically the mind goes deeper. And... Uh, you know, and there's a sense of uh, realness and a sense of connectedness which comes from being awareness. And we can also sense it in others. You know, this is the recognition we have. If we meet somebody who has been practicing, we can f pick that up, you know, because there is this uh, <coughs> intuitive recognition of somebody you know, who is really living from this deeper place, who is not constantly, you know, searching for the next hit. And this is, you know, what makes this practice so very precious, because without it we wouldn't be able to find it because it's a very subtle recognition which has to be pointed out. 
And then, you know, once it's understood, we have to train ourselves. And, you know, it's, it's a, a lifelong practice. And it's uh, works, you know, but we have to remember it. And uh, I brought a, a quote uh, from Trungpa Rinpoche, who is a very kind of unusual um, teacher. He has passed away, I think, about 30 years ago. And I find this is a very funny and a very wise quote here, which I'm reading for you. And he says, enlightenment is not like teaching a tree to talk or a heart transplant. So, you know, because we tend to think that enlightenment is something completely off the charts, you know, like uh, teaching a tree to talk. But it isn't like that. You just need, you know, to start and not to stop, and it's going to happen. We just don't know when. So enlightenment is not like teaching a tree to talk or a heart transplant. It's much simpler than that. But it's not easy. So, you know, we need to take every opportunity to train ourselves and to remember it. And, and the rest, you know, the laws of nature will take care of themselves because they want to be known, because the whole universe is, you know, our learning ground and because we are part of it. If we, you know, put ourselves really into the practice, it's a benefit for many other beings as well. And sometimes, you know, if you lose uh, energy, if you lose heart, remembering that can help, you know, to to just feel inspiration and, and feel a, a kind of satisfaction you know, from having found a teaching which is so profound and so practical at the same time. And then, you know, you just keep going. So I wish you all the best for tomorrow, last full day. And, uh, you know, I, I feel, uh, you know, we have been already doing very good work, so there's no reason why we shouldn't uh, do that tomorrow again. Thank you.